Today on episode number 349 of the Teaching in Higher Ed podcast, I have three wonderful guests joining me, Maha Bali, Autumn Keynes, and Mia Zamora to talk about community building activities. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. I'm Bonnie Stahoviak, and this is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to improve our productivity approaches so we can have more peace in our lives and be even more present for our students. Joining me for today's episode are Maha Bali, Autumn Keynes, and Mia Zamora. They're going to be sharing about some community building activities that I think are really going to inspire you and allow you to have access to some really great resources for building community, especially in online classes. Maha Bali is an associate professor of practice at the Center for Learning and Teaching at the American University in Cairo. She is into learning, into writing, and into connecting, and she is also the co-founder of Virtually Connecting, Equity Unbound, and Socially Just Academia. Autumn Keynes is a critical instructional designer at the University of Michigan-Dearborn, where she also teaches. Autumn is part technologist, part artist, part organizer, and part designer. On her Twitter profile, she refers to herself as Autumn Keynes is a liminal space, and this is really expressive of her fascination about the meeting of who we are and the places that we inhabit. Her fascination with silence and giving room. And we are also joined today by Mia Zamora. She's an associate professor of English, the director of their master's in writing studies at Keene University. She is also the co-chair and co-founder of Equity Unbound and of Networked Narratives. Mia, welcome to Teaching in Higher Ed and Autumn and Maha, welcome back to Teaching in Higher Ed. I'm so glad to be talking with all of you today. Thank you for having us. It's such a thrill to be with you, Bonnie. As we begin today's episode's theme of building community, I want to just share a reaction of kind of the opposite of that in one of my classes. This is probably five years ago or more, but I always try to think about the first day of class to do something different that might surprise them or make them kind of get a little preview of this class isn't going to be quite what you are used to before. And I remember so distinctly one of the students in the class saying, oh my gosh, thank you so much for not having each and every one of us go around the class and introduce ourselves because I've done that like six times today. (laughs) So, you know, you think of all these times when some of us have experienced what are often called icebreakers and they're intended to do something, but it doesn't quite kind of map to ultimately resolving those intentions that are had. And Maha, I know you've got a story of kind of an icebreaker gone wrong that will kind of get us into what this resource that you're curating isn't all about. But let's start with kind of what we don't want to do when it comes to building community. 
Yeah, so this is an icebreaker that someone tried with me. I was an undergraduate student doing Model United Nations, and someone was coming to give us a workshop. And this person is actually someone I love very much, and we're still in touch, and he's a wonderful person. But that icebreaker was awful. So basically, I wrote in the chat what he wrote on the board. And Bonnie, what do you see when you read this? I see opportunity. (laughs) You're getting me with my glasses now. Opportunity is now here. Right. Does anyone see it differently? When you first put it up, I saw opportunities nowhere. Exactly. And if you've seen me present, I actually use this a lot as an icebreaker. And I say, why do you think I'm showing you this? And I talk about how you can have different perspectives on the same thing and something can look sometimes as an opportunity and sometimes it looks like it's not going anywhere and how we need to be patient to try to see both points of view, right? But the person who was doing this icebreaker said, oh, well, those of you who saw nowhere, those are the pessimists. And those who saw now here are the optimists. And like, come on, it's a visual thing. What kind of person walks into a room to people who are in the model UN, so they're they're already active leaders in their institution and doing extracurricular activities and just labels people as pessimists based on this silly activity, you know? So I hated him. And he's such a wonderful person. And I got to know him later. <laughs> he's, he's like a very, very into citizenship and activism. He's been a guest speaker in my class. <laughs> but that day, I, it just really turned me off. Like, I, I don't even remember anything he said after that, because I was one of the labeled pessimist people. So that was a horrible icebreaker to me. But it's interesting because I took it and I used it in a different way <laughs> that isn't at all like he used it. So I never forgot it. Oh, yeah. I mean... <laughs> The intent there probably was to try to help people see that people see things differently. And instead, we just labeled people into two groups and one was quote unquote good and the other was quote unquote bad. Not a great way to build community. Mia, would you share a little bit about the resource that you've all been curating and developing together? Sure. So essentially, we've pulled together curated community building activities and they're open educational resources specifically looking at online community building. And there's a partnership here between Equity Unbound, which is a network which aims to create equity-focused, open and connected learning experiences. And that partnership between Equity Unbound is with 1HE, another resource, online resource for learning and also teaching in higher ed. So we've teamed up these two entities, these two networks, to really focus on what it takes to have people connect in online communities and and to and to move beyond just that sense of coming together in a room and then having a kind of talking head and you know a lack of connection and to feel a sense of dynamism with the others in the in the space through activities, through listening, through all kinds of reflection, et cetera. That's what this collection is all about, is, is, is taking that Zoom grid and making it a dynamic, interactive, connected experience for people. I absolutely am enthralled by your word choice there of dynamism and would say that most people would not express their experiences in online attempts to build community using that word. So I'm so excited to be hearing more today. Maha, tell us a little bit about how this resource came about. So we were in a virtually connecting session uh, that was a misconversation after a conference. Autumn was facilitating and there were several of us there. 
And towards the end of the conversation, someone brought up the fact that a lot of people were panicking about how they were going to build community online. A lot of us who had been in online education for a long time knew how to do this, but for some reason that wasn't connecting with people who were having to do this in the fall semester, possibly because a lot of online education beforehand was asynchronous and text-based, whereas this time around with the remote learning, there's so much synchronous, right, video type. And people were so scared that they wouldn't be able to build community online. And what we were saying in this conversation is that, oh, well, maybe each of us has an idea or two, and maybe let's crowdsource these and do something with them to share them with the world. And one of the thoughts that we had, I think Autumn and I especially, and we went back and talked to me about it, is like, we don't wanna ask more effective labor of people who are already faculty developers, already doing a lot of effective labor. So let's try to get funding for this. And so we thought of several different spaces and we actually did apply to other spaces. And then we thought of also 1HE and 1HE is an organization that's a global network of educators focused on teaching quality, and I'm on their advisory board, and I knew that they wanted to create courses to support people with, uh, with teaching and learning, especially online. But I, I talked to Mia and Autumn, and we decided that I'd propose this idea to them, and that uh, I would see if they'd be willing to fund it. And I said, I'm going to work on a quick timeline. We need to have it open, so it's not like a paid thing. And uh, Autumn came up with this awesome idea to actually try a couple of the, res- the ideas, the activities that we wanted to do so that they can see what it is and they can see that it's probably not something they've seen before. And I think it really um, caught their attention and they're like, okay, we'll give you this amount of money to do. How many do you think you can do? And what kind of timeline do you want to work on? And so we started working on those. And first of all, it was mainly the three of us and the people, some of the people who were in that call, in the virtually connecting call. And then we are like, let's think of who else might be interested in joining us. And some people proposed, and sometimes we reached out to people. That's how it grew. Oh, I love it. And you talked a little bit about that early experimentation. And I know that you had people coming alongside you. I could see some of this taking place on social media pretty transparently. So that was really fun to see. But you also had a very special experimenter early on that we actually get to hear from now. Early on, as the group was starting to experiment with some of these community building exercises, they had a little help from, I guess, what we might best call an experimenter, someone that helped them see what was working and what wasn't working. And her name is Hoda, and Hoda is here with us today. Hello, Hoda. Hi. So tell me, Hoda, what do you remember about the first activity you did or one of the early, early ones that you did? What do you remember about it? The spiral journal? Yeah. Yeah. And I I like the gratitude. You like the gratitude journals. What do you like about the gratitude journals? I just like that we get to say what we liked about the day. Well, you don't get to say what we didn't like about the day. (laughs) Hoda, that's one of the things I've been trying to do in this new year, because I wasn't doing a lot of journaling. So I decided to just write down even just a few things that I was grateful for. And you know, that can actually make our, our gratitude grow even bigger when we do that. Remember the first time we did gratitude, one of the things you were grateful for in 2020? Uh, the Minecraft? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what do yeah. you remember? I, I like uh, Minecraft with uh, Luke and Hannah. <laughs> it's yeah. very fun. Yeah, I keep talking about that, Hoda, because 
I'm really so happy that our kids get to know someone who lives so far away from us. And it went from them not really understanding how it's a different time in the world for different people. Like they have grandparents that live in a different time zone. And they didn't really understand that until they met you. And then especially our daughter, especially Hannah. So they, she would now she'll say all the time, what time is it in Egypt? What time is it in Egypt? And it kind of cracks me mm. up that that never would have been possible without their friendship with you. And you've taught them so much and they enjoy their time with you so much. And it's fun to have you all learning. Now, why do you think being able to build community is so important, Hoda? Um, maybe it means like to communicate with people more, to socialize with maybe. <laughs> that sure sounds right to me, Hoda, and how important that is, especially today when we're not always able to see each other in the same ways that we were used to before, how important it is. So Hoda, is there anything else you want to tell us about what you did to help them figure out if these things were working or not? Remember when we were doing like we did a drawing activity with Autumn where we drew each other. Oh, yeah. I don't know what you drew. It just looked like a ghost. <laughs> Do you remember the one we did with Mia where we were asking how are you feeling in different ways? Like either choosing a picture or like with the word cloud. Yeah. I think you're, you you used to tell us you loved that. Which one was your favorite? One with the picture or one with the word? Ah, uh, that's hard. <laughs> I think the one with the pictures because it like it tells you like like what do you feel in in a way that you can see. That's such an important exercise to be able to do to recognize how we're feeling because sometimes our minds get us mixed up and we think we're angry, but we're actually sad. So I think exercises like that can be so important. I saw this picture on Twitter the other day, Hoda, and it had you rate how you were feeling according to nine different cats. And they all had these different facial expressions that were ridiculous. And I have to find out where I saved that too. (laughs) Yeah, you love cats. So yeah, you would love that. Oh, if I find it, I'll send it to you. All right. Well, enjoy your time playing Minecraft, Hoda. It was great getting to talk to you this morning. Bye. Bye. Maha, as I was preparing for today's episode, I came across an article that wasn't hard to find because at the this as of the time of this recording, I think it's pinned <laughs> to the top of your Twitter account. But it 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 struck me in a different way today. Because I realized that instead of the golden rule, which is do unto others as you would have them do unto you, I actually, a lot of times in my life, have had people in a manipulative way say things like, oh, well, that wouldn't have bothered me when I was in college. We lived with six of us and one of the six got a dog that's like the worst behaved dog I've ever seen in my entire life I mean just thrashed the lawn and ate people's clothing and I mean just just a pretty horrendous dog and then she'd say like well it wouldn't have bothered me if one of you would have gotten a dog you know that kind of thing so the phrase that you say do unto students as they would have done unto them. Would you talk a little bit about why you chose to flip the golden rule on its head (laughs) in this instance? So this is, this is actually a Nell Nodding's book Mm. that I hacked for the title of, I actually think the Times Higher Education hacked it as the title of (laughs) of the article. I don't think it was the title that I chose, but it's such a good title, right? 
And Mia and I um, are working on an article together about equity care. We've been talking about this equity care matrix and what it means to have equity and without care and care without equity. And so I've been reading a lot of Nell Noddings because of course she writes a lot about care. So that's where that comes from. And it comes from that it's not enough to put yourself in someone's shoes, like see what they want, not what you would have done if you were in their shoes because you you're not them and they have a different perspective. And I think in the context of the pandemic, I thought that was really important because if you're doing well in the pandemic, don't imagine how other people are, are dealing with it. Everyone's context is different. Everyone's going through it differently. Listen to them and understand from them what it is that they need. Like a lot of times faculty talk about students as if they know better in this patronizing way that is meant to be caring. Like it's, it's, it's under the guise of care that I know what's best for you. So I'm going to challenge you with this rigor so that you can do better, so that you can survive in the world, but they're actually harming them. And so, so that's, that's where that comes from. And this, this process of, of building community so that you can have this opportunity for them to feel safe telling you, because it's not enough to tell students, I want to listen to you. You got to build the trust so that they will talk to you and be candid with you and not fear the repercussions. I remember so vividly last semester that, I mean, I don't require cameras to be on. Some of you on today's episode have influenced me in that way over many years now, so even since before the pandemic. And so I, I didn't require it. This young woman never had her camera on. But sometimes we, we would talk after class and occasionally she'd turn her camera on. And at one point I saw this flash of that. Wait, that looks right like the window outside my office. That couldn't be. She couldn't. I didn't understand because our campus was primarily closed down. So I thought, what? What? I don't understand. Why is my brain playing tricks on me? And I wasn't trying to catch her being there when she's not supposed to, but it turned out that she actually was on our campus. And I, I won't go into too much of the reasons why, but some of it in terms of not having access to bandwidth at home was one of the drivers of that, that her being in that place. And it was, it just made me so glad that, again, that I had learned that previously. There's a lot of that awareness of other people's context that's going on right now that I felt at least I could be a little bit ahead of why some people would choose not to. I mean, although that question still continues to really float around in my mind. So I want to hear a little bit, let's start with Autumn on this next question. I want to hear a little bit about what you see as the importance of building community. And and perhaps also, Autumn, if you can kind of I think sometimes people want to build something that they call community, but isn't quite <laughs> what, you know, really, truly building community. Why is it important? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a great question. Thanks, Bonnie. Yeah. So I guess I'm hearing a little bit of what is community. So I guess you could argue that just, I mean, we're all together. We're in this class. <laughs> it's a community. Yeah. Not necessarily, right? <laughs> like, like it. I think community is more than just a gathering of people in a room. It's a sense of care for one another. It's a sense of caring both about one another and maybe for something. And I think that's where learning communities can really differentiate themselves in that we're all learning together. There's the subject or the topic or the content of the course that we're all kind of unpacking together and learning from one another. I think it's really important for the learning process, not that some people don't learn alone. 
Some people can definitely learn by themselves, but I think when we do learn together in community, it's something really powerful because of that sense of care that we can build for one another, as well as for changes that we can make in the world based on the things that we're learning about. It doesn't come easy. I think you can do things to encourage it. I think that you can do things to cultivate it, but it's not like it's not something that you can guarantee. It has a lot to do with the personalities in the room. It has a lot to do with the way that people interact with one another. But I think there are some activities, there are some structures that you can create that either make that easier or can make that harder. And that's what we're trying to do with these community building resources is to curate some things that make it so that people can feel heard. As you start to get bigger in community, I think it gets harder as well as trying to build a community with 10 people is different than trying to build a community with 20 people or 30 people or 40 people or 50 people, 100 people, ah, right? And and a huge part of uh, building community is letting people be heard, letting people feel like their voice is a part of this bigger thing. And so, especially when you start getting more people involved, it becomes really difficult to let everybody be heard. So there's different ways that you can do that, right? There is the, you know, classic everybody go around and tell us something about yourself. That gets really problematic with bigger groups, plus everybody does it. So it gets kind of old after a while. So finding new ways to help people think about things, having new ways for people to offering them the microphone so that way they get a chance to speak a little bit and and, and responding to them and making sure that they understand that they have been heard and that they feel heard. Earlier in our conversation today, Mahat talked about that some of us have been doing this for a long time. And I have been teaching online for a fair, I mean, most of my teaching is hybrid. But, you know, the portion of that that was online, I felt very comfortable. Now I am doing more high flex teaching, which high flex is one of those words that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But in my particular context, what I mean by that is that we have a scheduled class that is synchronous. But if someone either does not want to or cannot attend, there are asynchronous options. So what I'm really struggling with now and experimenting with is what the first person I ever heard refer to this was Sean Michael Morris, calling this synchronish activities. (laughs) So I, I it, but I still feel really clumsy, but it boy, when it works, it works. So I did this little sticky note exercise the other day and the people that were there at the scheduled class left, left the sticky notes around a series of questions. And then the people who joined later added in their sticky notes. And it's such a simple example, but I'm still, my mind kind of gets bent. But anyway, Mia, I wanted to hear from you because I just shared one of my challenges around, <laughs> around trying to, you know, take the skills and knowledge I have and sort of bend them in a different way. And Mia, what kinds of challenges do you see people have in building community? And and what else would you like to share just about the importance of it? There's so many things that Autumn said that I think were so important. And I just want to pull some threads out of it. Like one of the things that both Maha and and Autumn mentioned was the word trust. And this is not something easily, you can't insist upon trust. It has to be something that comes and emerges from moments. And I think that the design of engagement can either open pathways to build trust or 
ultimately um, shut people down. I think Autumn talked so much about voices being heard. Absolutely. And I also want to say, I think one of the really important things here is the power of listening and um, positioning people to listen more than, you know, in a traditional classroom, there's always the kind of paradigm of wanting to sort of prove what you know and contribute, et cetera. But what role does listening have, especially when we move online and that listening becomes either visible and or invisible in particular ways? So with the things that we've designed in terms of the curated activities, I think a lot of the sensibility is um, building around trust and a slow apprehension of the unique voices of every single person who is involved and also the power of listening as a as a, a central aspect of what learning is as well to give you a small example bonnie like one of my favorite community building activities is the spiral journal and <laughs> I'm always suggesting we do this when we work with faculty development groups, et cetera, because I love it so much. But in essence, it's the kind of process that it takes no more than 10 minutes, but there's something about the cognitive mechanisms within the 10 minutes that really bring us to a place of listening, not just to others when there's moments of share out in it, but to ourselves, we're listening to ourself. And I think that is such an important reference point in terms of healthy community building is we know where we're at in things. And then when we come to share things, we're also very thoughtful about what to give to the group. So anyway, I just wanted to sort of highlight trust listening, and a centered um, sense of self in terms of thinking about what contribution is as all part of what we're trying to do here. Yeah, I guess I guess I have other thoughts, but that's good enough for now. <laughs> well, I appreciate that you brought up an example, because I think this is a perfect time in our conversation to go from what is this set of resources that you've been curating? What's the purpose of it? Why is community building important to, okay, practically now, if I were to go in and start to make use of these resources, I think that maybe we could just spend a few minutes kind of talking about ones that, and again, I know it's like trying to, as of today, Maha, you said there's about 40, 45 of them. So I'm sure it's like podcast episodes whenever someone says, what's your favorite? No, don't ask me what's my favorite. But maybe we could identify some that are just a certain type. For example, are there any that come to mind where the, the person submitted it and you thought, wow, what a creative way to build community? Are there any that you would like to highlight that just seemed really particularly innovative or creative or surprised you in some way? It's kind of like what you say, it's like choosing between your children is a little hard. I know. I, know. <laughs> I would say when you go to the site, you can filter by type. Mm -hmm. So there are no icebreakers, but there are warm-ups. There are introduction activities. There are ongoing engagement. And I think that's really important because a lot of times people think of community as something you do the first two weeks of the semester and then life goes on. But no, you need to just keep nourishing and nurturing that community. The ones that I like the most, I would have to say probably the liberating structures. So that we didn't make these up. There's a whole website, liberatingstructures.org, but they're made for face-to-face. -face. And they had been adapted online before. During the pandemic, people in that community started doing a lot more virtual of them, but they're described in text. And it's difficult to imagine it unless you try it. And what we've been doing is we've been doing demos of them. And I'd be bringing um, 
usually I'm the one who knows the liberating structure, but occasionally I bring someone else who's even I'm like a bigger expert in liberating structures to do them with a group of people who may never have done them before, as if they are your students. So they're educators, but they're pretending to be students in that context and trying it out. With and so one of those that I think, Spiral Journal is one of them, it's a liberating structure and development. It's not one you'll find directly on their site, but the, the one, one of the ones that I really like and that my students really like is called Troika Consulting. It's about bringing three people together who are not experts and giving them a structured limited amount of time for one person to share a problem they have and then turn off their camera and mute themselves and listen to the other two discussing the problem and trying to solve it for a certain amount of time and then turn back their camera on and, and share back to the consultants what they learned from them. And then you reciprocate. So everyone gets a chance to be the client and the others are consultants and none of them is an expert. So it's a very reciprocal exercise. And my students liked it when we did it in the main room where those three people and everyone was watching. This is actually called Wisefish. It's an adaptation of it. And you'll see that on the website, a lot of the things are adaptable to other situations. Um, so Bonnie, when you were saying you need to do something synchronous, a lot of the activities have, it's, this is usually done synchronously, but if you needed to do it asynchronously, you could do that. This is usually uh, requires the camera on, but if your students have the camera off, this is what you can do instead. So it's a lot of that. It's what we call intentionally equitable hospitality. This is a notion that we developed with virtually connecting, and it's about how do we meet the needs of those furthest from justice? How do we make sure the space is equitable to every person in it? Not just with what we intend, but what we practice day in and day out and, and noticing that. Mm -hmm. Mia, you're saying your students love Troika. Do you want to share about that and then share your... Oh, your they videos? just love Troika. My students love Troika. But I, I, I mean, there are a few that are real hits. I just want to um, share two others that I think might be you know, just interesting lens into the curated collection. But recently, because it's the beginning of a new academic season, we did um, some introductions. It was like a second phase of getting to know each other where we have like a panel of pictures that are just crowdsourced, open source images. So you'll see, like in this case, I had a picture of someone on a type on a, a tight wire balancing. I had a picture of like a fishing pole on a dock. I had a picture of a glen in the forest. I had a picture of a fireplace with someone's legs and soft socks, like, and a mug. You know, these are abstracted pictures. You don't see a human being. You just see like maybe a, a silhouette or something. But I asked each student to to uh, select a picture that speaks to them and says something to them about how they're feeling or about something they're aspiring to, they can qualify it. And they just loved this activity. And you can see how it's an entry point or a gateway into expressing something of yourself, but it's through sort of a kind of a relatability, like things, and you choose what you wanna share as well. So there's, it's not as imposing as please introduce yourself now and you've gotta come up with something. Instead, there's a kind of intuitive intimacy embedded in the thing. The other thing I want to say is one of my students said, oh, I love this activity so much. Maybe sometime we can do this later on in the semester when we get to know each other even better, where we imagine a picture around one of our classmates. And I just loved that because it gives a sense of like the growth spectrum that they start to actually anticipate 
in community building and a sense of connection with each other. And then they think, wouldn't it be fun if I was able to say, I love that picture of the fire with the soft socks for fill in the blank with a classmate. Because when I think about what they say in class, it brings me to the sense of, you know, et cetera, et cetera, that they're having points of connection and observation around each other that are, are meaningful and, and um, complementary in some way. And it was the student themselves that suggested that idea. So like, can we do this later on for each other instead of for ourselves? So those are just examples of the ways in which these little mechanisms can bring people together in ways that are powerful. The other thing that popped in my mind, uh, just another activity was there's a, this is Autumn's really, but it's the Surrealist Journal and I just love it so much. It's when you draw, I mean, a, not journal, surrealist portrait, where you draw a picture of somebody with your the, the hand that's not your dominant hand. And then you share it and you, you think about the process. And you also think about the discomfort of not being able to master what you see, et cetera. So these things are just really powerful moments that make a lot of difference in how people feel when they come to class overall and start to learn together. Mm. I just wanted to uh, highlight a resource called Pass the Paper, which was actually something that was brought from my uh, colleague at University of Michigan, Dearborn, Sarah Silverman. It's uh, one of these resources that you would use along with a slide deck, a shared slide deck that everybody can get onto at the same time. And she compares it to the face-to-face right, equivalent of where you would actually have a piece of paper or a little index card and you would pass the paper to the next person. And so the first round, what you do is you write down your challenge or something that you're struggling with, and then you pass the paper. And so the next person gets your challenge and you get somebody else's challenge. And then you think about that challenge that they're dealing with and give them some advice. And then you do another round. So she does this with Google Slides where you, you know, you get your own slide And so you put your challenge on there and then everybody just moves down one slide. And it's a great way to just if you do have some project or something that, you know, people are struggling with just to kind of get a temperature of the room and kind of get uh, some feedback from a couple of people. It's just it's a fun one. I saw that one being talked about recently and just thought it just seemed like such a good one. But something about just you explaining it right now really helps me feel a little bit more confidence to give it a try. Yeah, thank you for that. Did you have a, one that you wanted to share, Maha, before we go on? Okay, I'm going to share a meta one. So other than the ones where we're demoing a particular activity, there are also a couple of them where we just talk through something or someone has submitted something to talk through. And there's one by Kate Bowles that's a safety considerations one that's really, really important to read. So for example, one of the very popular activities we have is a story of your name activity. And everyone, I think this was one of the most popular ones that people tried it and they loved it. But Kate Bowles reminds us that, oh, well, what if someone trans did not come to the top of their name or someone for whatever other reason have changed their name and, and how to create an environment where if someone is uncomfortable, because no matter what you do, there might be someone who's uncomfortable in ways that you don't imagine, but you try to imagine those as well. And think about some of the activities that are, for example, really quick and how that works for people who are neurodiverse and all of that. So that article by uh, Kate Bowles is not an activity, but it's something to read and think about as you go through these. And I think it's really important. And I actually had my students read it early on in the semester mm. so that they knew that I cared about that. And, and she says it better than I would. So 
Oh, I'm definitely looking forward to checking that out. That's not one that I've seen before. Before we get to the recommendations segment, I just wanted to take a moment to thank today's sponsor, and that is SaneBox. We all get so much email, and most of it is not equally as important as the other messages that are there. What SaneBox does is it makes sure that only the important emails stay in your inbox, and it does that by reading the subject line of the email and sorting them into different folders. There are folders such as Sane News for all those newsletters that come in, Sane Later for things that you can easily read later and don't need to attend to now. And you can train SaneBox over time. If something were to wind up in the Sane News folder, for example, you could just simply drag it into your inbox and it would remember the next time that same newsletter showed up. But I will tell you, I actually so very rarely have to train SaneBox. It's just that good out of the box. There are some other really cool features. I like to be able to blind carbon copy SaneBox and tell it that if I don't hear from this person back in three days or four days to send the email back to me so I can do additional follow-up. With COVID happening, there's just messages where I need to get an answer back, and I don't feel like adding to my task manager system for something as simple as waiting for email follow-up. So it's a wonderful service, and we're so glad to have them supporting teaching in higher ed. If you head on over to sanebox.com slash T-I-H-E, as in teaching in higher ed, you can get a 14-day free trial, no credit card required, and you also can get a $25 credit toward a SaneBox subscription. And they like to say today is the day you get to take back control of your inbox. And as someone who has relatively good control of my inbox, SaneBox makes such a difference. And I, I know it will for you to give it a try. SaneBox.com slash T-I-H-E. So this is the time in the show where we each get to share our recommendations. And in all the time of doing this show, I don't think I've ever done this before. I get to interview a lot of authors. And of course, I talk about their books when they come on the show. But I'm so excited about this book that I'm interviewing him next week, I think. But I just have to recommend it today. So this is a book that's called Invisible Learning, The Magic Behind Dan Levy's Legendary Harvard Statistics Course. It is by David Franklin. As I mentioned, I get to speak with him very soon, so you'll be hearing him on an upcoming episode. I just want to start out by saying, if you teach statistics, get this book. Put aside the fact if you teach at a community college or at one like mine, a teeny, teeny, tiny one, and he's at Harvard thinking that there won't be things that would be relatable, every single page is just chock full of things that are very relatable. And I'll just share a little bit about the book. It reveals the secrets behind one of Harvard's most successful statistics courses. Dan Levy is famous at Harvard for his inclusive learning environment, which leaves students feeling not just confident about using statistics in the real world, but also seen, heard, and loved. And one of the things he talks about in the book is that people leave the class crying that the class is over and just the, one of those really transformative kinds of things. And it's just a delightful look at just ways to get people curious about what they're learning. I mean, statistics is one of those classes that just historically can be taught just terribly awful with just formulas and you have to memorize it and, and you, you have to, you know, stick through it, you know, even if, no matter how boring it might get to, you know, that kind of thing. And here is someone who just every, I mean, I've only taken probably, I don't know, three or four statistics classes in my entire life and just candidly barely got 
<laughs> barely got by. And I left feeling like I could take this class at Harvard and probably do well just because it's, it's, he engages people so much and it's so applied and in ways of what people are interested in. And so again, if you teach statistics, I just got to say, you got to get this book. If you don't teach statistics, but you teach a subject that you're ever challenged, getting people curious about the content. Again, I don't teach anything even close to statistics, but I'm, I'm learning so much. And I guess the big takeaway for me, which I, is still, I know this, but this really teaching well requires a lot of intentionality and planning. And just like, just, I thought it fit in today so well with the episode, you don't build community by accident. You build community intentionally. So I'm going to encourage everyone to go check out, of course, what this whole episode was about, check out these resources for building community. And I'm also going to encourage you to check out the book Invisible Learning. And now I'm going to pass it over to Mia for her recommendation. Bonnie, I just love that so much. You don't build community by accident. (laughs) That's absolutely right. There's so much that goes into it. And my recommendation is probably something that many are familiar with, but it's okay. It's a podcast that's directed or organized by Krista Tibbett called On Being. But I just love this podcast. It basically is, you know, conversations that pursue questions around moral imagination, you know, what is courage and joy. It's it's a, a spiritually oriented podcast, but I think it's especially powerful for caregivers. You know, this is such an uncertain time that we're going through. And so I think that this podcast is really like, you know, food for your soul in terms of helping you remember what's truly important and bringing that kind of moral courage and questions around how we can imagine what it means to be good and good to each other to the work we do. So that's my recommendation. Mm, It's such a great podcast. And it's so in contrast to what Maha shared early in the episode about Everybody who saw things this way, you were you're a pessimist, and everyone who sees things that that something as potentially controversial as people's religious or spiritual lives or whatever it is that they believe in, she has physicists on, and all this. I mean, it's just like all inclusive of being because we all do that. We, I mean, that's the hope anyway <laughs> is that we all share that practice of on being. Yeah, I love it. Thank you so much for recommending it, Mia, and Maha, over to you. So I'm going to recommend like three-ish things. The first thing is I'm going to recommend people who are listening here to look at a few of the resources. And if they have something interesting that they do in their classes that helped the community before, get in touch with us. There is a form you can fill in or you can get in touch with any of us and we'll, we can either meet up and record them or you can just submit them in text, whichever. We love doing the meetings and the demos, but if, you know, if you don't have time, we can submit it. The second thing I want to recommend is an article by Autumn called The Zoom Gaze, uh, because you were talking earlier, Bonnie, about this camera's on and off, and this goes a lot deeper than the regular conversations that you and I and others have been having on Twitter, and digs deeper into the power dynamic of Zoom and the way that you know, who controls what. And it's, it's, it's awesome. And there's an audio version of it, so you know people who are listening to the podcast may prefer to listen to the audio version of it. The third thing I want to recommend is a particular podcast for kids, but I want to recommend some other podcasts for kids as well. So this one I just found out about yesterday. A few years ago, 
three years ago, Autumn got me a book called Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls. And if you have uh, ever seen it, it's awesome. It's like every page is a biography of a woman who has done something in life. And there's a part two of it, which I have as well. And my daughter has loved it. Even when she couldn't read very well, she tried to read it and now she can read it. But she also loves podcasts. So when we found out that there's a podcast version and like one of the latest episodes is about Kamala Harris, which is awesome. I'm not really sure if they actually talk to the person or they talk about or they just read out what's in the book, but I'm going to check it out. I'm sure it's going to be amazing. And it's like, it goes all the way back from 2018. So if you go there, you'll have a lot of episodes to catch up on. That's, that's something I like because I don't want to have to wait every week for no one. My daughter's first ever episode that she ever loved was yours, Bonnie, mm-hmm. teaching in higher ed. But since then, she loves science. So she loves this podcast called Brains On and one called Smash Boom Best and one called Ty Asks Why. So those are the, the three she loves. So I'm recommending them to anyone who has kids. Mine is nine. Uh, anyone who has kids who like a podcast and podcasting for children in the times of the pandemic is a great way to wind down without a screen for someone who doesn't want to sleep yet. <laughs> but reading has to have the light on and this allows you to turn the light off. So it's really great for winding down, you know, someone who doesn't want to sleep so much yet. Or someone who doesn't take naps anymore, but needs a little quiet time. <laughs> so that works too. <laughs> yeah. Autumn, how about you? What do you have to recommend today? I've got two books, a podcast and a reminder. So my first book is going to be John Warner, Sustainable, Resilient, Free, The Future of Public Higher Education. This just came out a little while ago. If folks haven't had a chance to pick that up, it's from Belt Publishing. Really great. John's great uh, just in general, but really great thoughts here about the state of higher education and how especially public education and public funding play into that. Just a lot of good thinking here. Second one is we want to do more than survive the abolitionist teaching Abolitionist Teaching and the Pursuit of Educational Freedom by Bettina Love. This is just a great book about anti-racist teaching and about the systemic injustices that are built into the educational system and how we can challenge some of these. I love, love, love this book so much. The podcast is Flash Forward, which I just love this podcast. If you guys aren't listening to this podcast, I, what I, well, the, the first thing I love about this podcast is it's always about technology and the future of technology. And they always start it with imagining the future. And so there's always a little skit or or something like that, where they, you're, you're hearing from people who are actually living in this imagined future. And then that's just the first couple of minutes. Then uh, the host, Rose, comes in and just always does a great analysis. She brings on great guests and just uh, always has a great take on different technologies. She's done data and surveillance. She's done trash the trash episode is great. How do we deal with trash in the future? (laughs) So I really love that. And then my reminder is just to actually just echo what Matt has said, that these resources are great. Please go and use them. But also remember that they're a curation that we want to hear from you. We want you to come and let us know what you're doing in your classes so that way we can make it part of the curation so that it can be searched and that other people can learn from it. I am so grateful for this opportunity to connect today. And you've inspired me and I know you're going to inspire people listening. Thank you so much for the affective work that you do, but that you also, as Matt said, try to spread out to others. You just have such a way of building welcoming communities in your own classes and in our community. We get to learn so much from you. It truly is just exciting to have you back on the show. And Mia, 
This, I hope, is just the first time of uh, more than one because I've, I've had you on my list for a long time. <laughs> it, it's so great to speak with you, Bonnie. Thank you so much and absolutely more to come. Thank you, Bonnie. Thanks once again to Matt, Bali, Autumn, Keynes, and Mia Zamora for joining me on today's episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. It was great to have this conversation with you. And once again, I just want to nudge everyone to go over and check out those community building activities and try one out or considering or consider sharing one of your own. Thanks to all of you for listening. I recently revamped my weekly update. So if you'd like to subscribe, head on over to teachinginhighered.com slash subscribe. And I've always got highlights from the most recent episode. I've got related episodes, recommendations, quotable words, and more. So again, head on over to teachinginhighered.com slash subscribe. Thanks so much for listening. And I'll see you next time on Teaching in Higher Ed.